Is your money working as hard as it could be for your future? A decade ago, Robinhood changed the investment landscape when they pioneered commission-free stock trading. Today, they continue to offer innovative products to help users build a better financial future, like IRAs, ETFs, options for qualified traders, and much more. Take control of your financial future with Robinhood. Download the app or visit Robinhood.com to learn more. That's Robinhood.com. Disclosures. Investing involves risk. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIP. PC is a registered broker dealer. Good morning, Brew Daily Show. I'm Neil Fryman. And I'm Toby Howell. On today's pod, Jeff Bezos taps a literal knight to lead the Washington Post turnaround efforts. Then Elon unveiled a new AI chatbot with a sense of humor, but can it compete with the big guns? It's Monday, November 6th. Let's ride. New York City, not exactly known for being the friendliest of places, but we lose our tough guy attitude every year on Marathon Day, which happened yesterday. Everyone comes together for one big block party to cheer on the 50,000 runners who navigate all five boroughs. I snuck out of house for a little to catch the race. Such a great environment. There were bands playing up and down the route, so much positivity and a ton of hilarious signs. To be honest, the main thing I was thinking about was this must be one of the best days of the year for arts and craft stores because who has poster board and markers lying around? I love the signs. Two of my favorite that I saw was one that said 26.2 is nothing compared to marriage. I hope that was from a husband to her, her, his wife. And then also one dude was just holding up a sign that said, we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. But Neil, going to the marathon makes me want to do it so badly. Next year, you and I were both in and we're both rocking more uh, daily i will come up with the most ingenious sign i will play you know i will cheer so hard but i think i'm gonna leave the running to you toby fair enough before we get into the news we have a quick word from our sponsor brex neil we're filming a special shark tank s show soon where we rate our listeners business ideas that they submitted and all i could think about as i read some of these ideas is how much they could use brex you're definitely thinking of the guy who just wrote in chair pants yes i am for such a revolutionary idea you need a a revolutionary spend management platform. Chairpants guy could set up a corporate card, manage expenses, pay bills, and use powerful AI assistance to take his business to the next level. So Chairpants guy, if you're listening, head to brex.com today for more info. Let's jump into our top story. A new chat GPT-esque AI has entered the chat and its name is Grok. Grok is the brainchild of Elon's AI company XAI, and it differs from other chatbots in that it has a, quote, bit of wit, a rebellious streak, and can answer spicy questions that other bots may not. Some examples of that, when asked how to scale API requests, for instance, Grok responded that it's like trying to keep up with a never-ending orgy, so you get a sense of the bit of wit it is peddling. Other than a vulgar streak, Grok's main differentiator is that it has real-time knowledge of the world through accessing data from X. So if you asked it about the SBF trial, for instance, it will tell you that he's been found guilty on all counts. As for the name Grok, it's a word that Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy author Robert Heinlein made up, and it means to grasp something so deeply that you just get it, as in hair and makeup Grok not showing up to work. It's still in a beta phase and only available to a select number of users right now. But Neil, is Elon onto something here with Grok? It's funny to me that Elon is one of the forefront of warning about the dangers of AI and all of its risks to humanity. And with his first chatbot, the main thing he's focusing on is making it funny. 
And let's be clear, it's really not that funny. It's very, it's just not that funny. And so I'm just a little, you know, confused <laughs> why you would you would warn about the risk to humanity of open a of AI and the first thing all you care about is promoting that it's funny. When I query chat GPT or something and I want to find out some like an information from a chatbot, the first thing I'm thinking about is not like, oh my God, it, you know, just it wasn't that funny. Uh, you know, the information is so good, but I wish it came back with like a stupid joke. I think it's a way to wedge itself into the market right now. It's a way to make waves is by posting these funny screenshots to let people know it exists. But I think the true differentiator will be its access to X data and that real time data that that's the biggest uh, kind of setback or drawback of ChatGPT is that it was trained on its data sets and post uh data set it's not up to date with what's going on with the world but then again like you ask chat or uh, you ask grok about sbf and it comes up with an answer right there so that to me is what will truly differentiate it from everything else not necessarily the sense but of how humor. do you know what's reliable on it i know it seems like it could you know these chatbots are prone to hallucinate and tell you wrong information and now you're training it on a data set that has a lot of misinformation so it may be up to date but it may not tell you the yeah. right thing i hope it is doesn't hallucinate more than the other ones out there right now in terms of performance it claims it falls right in between chat gpt 3.5 and chat gpt 4 which is pretty good it's not exactly top top of the line but I mean, I'm pretty sure this has only been under development for around four months or so. So it's pretty good to debut a bot with that level of performance. So, and again, it's not that surprising when you consider the team is full of people from DeepMind, people from OpenAI. So this is a legit team building a legit AI product. And you see that right. reflected in its performance. I think this is a little bit of a vengeance for Musk because he co-founded OpenAI. And over the past few years, he's taken a step back and has criticized Sam Altman, who currently leads OpenAI, because he wants it to. Musk wanted to be an open platform uh, that was a nonprofit, and now he is accusing OpenAI of taking a lot of money from Microsoft and just being one of the, you know, the uh, just another part mm -hmm. of the big tech cog. But yeah, we're looking at we're looking at this arms race where if you get the best talent in the world, like Elon Musk can do, you can produce a pretty good product here. So we'll see what XAI uh, it does going forward. All right, let's talk about the Washington Post, the 145-year-old paper that is desperately trying to break out of a rut of declining subscriptions and big financial losses. To lead its turnaround efforts, owner Jeff Bezos hired Will Lewis, an industry vet who's been the CEO of Wall Street Journal parent company Dow Jones, the editor of the Daily Telegraph in Britain, and a co-founder of the startup The News Movement. He's also a literal knight after getting the tap from King Charles III earlier this year. So what's going on at the Post? We talk a lot on the show about how companies being overexposed to certain things. Well, the Post is too overexposed to Donald Trump. So when he's in the news, they do really well. And when he's not, much fewer people read it. The paper reached 3 million digital subscriptions when Trump was in the headlines in 2020. But since he left office, its subscriber numbers have fallen to 2.5 million and its digital audience has fallen 28%. The Post is also on pace to lose $100 million this year, which Bezos is not happy about after spending years focusing more on space than newspapers. Understandable. Bezos is beginning to pay attention to The Post again and is intent on reaching profitability. He's hoping Lewis can figure out a way to get the paper there 
but it won't be easy because news isn't exactly a growing industry. Yeah, this is so interesting to me because there isn't an immediate fix that jumps out because a lot of uh, kind of legacy media outlets, their path forward was always to reach a younger audience, maybe like a TikTok forward audience. But Washington Post has already invested a lot of effort into its digital presence. I mean, it has a pretty famous TikTok account while we're on that subject. So it isn't one of those things that we can just say, let's get more news involved and like that will save the paper. And especially when you look at the fact that so much of their success was tied to Donald Trump, that's not a repeatable long-term strategy. Just have him coming up. I know, exactly. (laughs) It's ironic that it it might actually end up working out for him. So it's definitely an interesting uh, kind of environment that Lewis is is stepping into. And, And their morale at Washington Post is low because who's their big rival is the New York Times and employees at the Washington Post have been watching the New York Times go on a bit of an acquisition spree to expand their offerings. They bought The Athletic, which is a sports publication. They acquired Wordle. And now they're, you know, it's you laugh, but, you know, games and food are, account for a huge amount of their subscriptions. More than a third, the New York Times has nearly 10 million subscribers, and more than a third of them were now subscribed to more than one Times product. That's helped them pr- be profitable. They're, they're, they uh, made almost 100 Hundred million dollars in profit last quarter. So the New York Times have has this expansive suite of offering that goes beyond news. The Washington Post has started to lean to, into that, but not as much. And so I think you can't. You're realizing that in this day and age, a news company has to be a lot more than just telling you the news to make the business fundamentals work. Yeah, and I mean, Will Lewis, Will Lewis is a big news guy. One detail that I thought was interesting that he says he writes a weekly email roundup of news articles to his friends ah. on what to read. Doesn't that sound familiar, Neil? A so little bit. I guess <laughs> he has to do it every day to, uh, to earn some credit here. Yeah, exactly. For our next story, we've talked a lot about the potential dangers of AI, especially when it comes to deep fakes, which are hyper-realistic photos or videos that appear legitimate but are actually fakes augmented by AI. Examples of this we've talked about before are sketchy supplement ads featuring endorsements from Joe Rogan, a voice recording of Joe Biden playing video games, and a fake Tom Cruise TikTok account. But the latest epicenter for the deep fake epidemic is a New Jersey high school where police are investigating sophomore boys for spreading AI-generated images of their female classmates' faces on naked bodies. This is such a complicated case because even though even though it's clearly wrong, it's unclear how or if the perpetrators will be punished. That's because neither federal nor most state laws have anything specifically referencing deepfake sexual content. Neil, one estimate from image detection company Sensity AI says that 90% of deepfakes online are pornographic in nature. So this is a massive problem that needs to be addressed. Yeah, as if social media wasn't already tough enough to navigate for teens and especially girls, all of a sudden this new technology comes along, AI, which can cause exponential damage uh, than what we're used to. We, we all talked about how Instagram maybe was bad for uh, teen mental health, and all of a sudden uh, AI is just pouring lighter fuel on all of these problems. You can go to any website uh, and, and create any type of image, any type of deepfake. There are big image generation platforms like Dali from OpenAI and Adobe's Firefly, and they do have content guardrails that prevent this kind of thing from happening. But there are, you know, for every one of those big platforms, there are so many others that populate the web. And it just seems like a very scary and traumatic thing that this town is going through. But it's not going away. Yeah, Stable Diffusion is one of those big platforms that made its code public. So that's what's allowed like this this plethora of other, they call them like undressing apps that you can 
like very it's free and it's just available online so yeah as you mentioned all of the big companies do have these guardrails in place but that does not stop you from accessing this type of software if if you're if you're looking for it and yeah you you mentioned the fact that this totally disproportionately affects young women especially 99% of deepfakes target women so again if you look at just the whole amount of deepfakes hitting the web and how much they are affecting specifically young women it's it's a problem that you really want regulated at a federal and right. state level. Which it is not currently. Uh, lawmakers are completely behind the ball on this one. There are no rules, at least at the federal level, that uh, govern this kind of thing. There, a few states have stepped in. There's been Virginia, California, Minnesota, and New York have created laws around the distribution of fake pornography, giving victims the right to sue their creators in civil court. But these are just stepwise things that need it needs to be addressed at a much bigger level. But lawmakers are like they're literally looking at all of the regulations on the books. Like, how can we right. address this? Uh, no, no, no. So the New Jersey uh, state senator is like, I, you know, after seeing what happened here, I need to take action. So we'll start to see those coming through. But it still is not going to be easy. Thanks to Section 230, which is this law that shields social media companies from the content that's on their platforms. All right, Neil, before we jump into our next story, we're going to take a quick break. Okay, let's hit our winners of the weekend where Toby and I hand out trophies to two things that partied hard Saturday night and woke up Sunday morning without a hangover. I won the pre-show Quidditch match, so I get to go first. My winner is the Hanshin Tigers, a baseball team in Osaka, Japan, that just won the Japan Series, the equivalent of the World Series over there. This wasn't a normal victory. This was a curse-breaking victory that snapped a 38-year title drought. Because while most of us have heard of the Red Sox and the curse of the Bambino and the Chicago Cubs and the curse of the Billy Goat, you may not have heard of the curse of the Colonel, which the Tigers snapped this weekend. To make a long story short, this team has been haunted by Colonel Sanders of KFC. When the Tigers won in 1985, the fans were so euphoric that they started jumping into a local canal in celebration. It was choreographed where individual fans who looked like each player on the roster jumping in as their names were sung. But when they got to MVP Randy Bass, no one knew what to do. He's American and no one looked like him. So what did they do? They ripped a plastic statue of Colonel Sanders from a nearby KFC and tossed it into the canal because he was the only white guy around. But as the losses and misfortune piled up in subsequent years, fans in the media pointed to this chucking of Sanders into the canal as a curse on the team. But now the curse of the colonel has been broken. I love this story on so many levels. Weirdly enough, I was on TikTok over the weekend and got on canal TikTok and it saw people jumping into the canals again. And I had no context for it. So I'm glad that we now have context around it. So yeah, I just love a good curse. But Neil, I was also doing some digging. I have some trivia for you. Okay. So the Tigers hadn't won since 1985. Do you know which U.S. city that has four major sports team that has had the longest title drought? So across NFL, MLB, NBA, and NHL teams, zero titles. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> Seattle? It's not Seattle. It's Minneapolis. Detroit? Oh, Minneapolis. So the Vikings, Twins, Wild, and Timberwolves have not won a title since 1991, which is the last time the Twins wow. won. And then also, interestingly enough, New York is fourth on the list, despite having eight teams. Yeah. Eight teams, it's fourth on the list for longest droughts. My winner of the weekend is the device that reduces the amount of pollution coming out of your car's tailpipe, the catalytic converter. 
Catalytic converters have been a hot commodity for thieves over the past few years because they are rich in precious metals like platinum, palladium, and rhodium. Thefts especially spiked during the pandemic as less used cars made for easy pickings and the values of those metals skyrocketed. But recent data shows that through the first six months of this year, there have been just 14,500 stolen compared to 23,000 over the same period last year. The reason? The price of those precious metals has started to come down a lot. For instance, rhodium was trading nearly as high as $30,000 per ounce in 2021, but in recent months, the price has fallen to less than $5,000 an ounce, and platinum is down from $1,348 in 2021 to $900 an ounce today. So, Neil, nothing like a good old price wipeout to take down these thieves. The market has just been completely wiped out. There was a lot of law enforcement crackdowns. They created new laws. There were huge busts. There was one federal bust of $545 million dollars of <laughs> worth of national uh, of catalytic converters uh but you know i guess you all you have to do is just cut that cut down the price and and work out supply chain kinks and the entire crime ring just falls apart i feel like economists are loving this because they have this great data set where they're seeing just how much the price of metals incentivizes crime or not. So you have like this very clear span of, of thefts falling. So I wonder if we're going to get some great reports from economists out of this, just about how market prices affect crime. I think they know that. Uh, but also when you look at other products that are being stolen increasingly now, olive oil, mm -hmm. whose price has increased a ton, Pokemon cards. True. I mean, the new, the new catalytic converters are Pokemon cards and olive oil. All right, Neil, let's move on. In my opinion, there's nothing sadder than a small disruptive company that gets bought out by a big one, then left to wither on the vine. But that is exactly what has happened with Mint and Intuit. Intuit is shutting down the once popular personal finance app down and shifting its users to Credit Karma. Flashback to 14 years ago and Mint was an innovative budgeting app that helped people manage expenses, negotiate bills, and keep tabs on subscriptions. But after its acquisition, it received little love despite having nearly 3.6 million monthly active users as of last count. Mint was always the forgotten product under the Intuit umbrella, which also includes TurboTax and QuickBooks and Credit Karma, and it became a clunky and anachronistic to use due to that lack of attention. Back as recently as a few years ago, users were still being told to update to the latest version of Adobe Flash to use some features within the app. The only problem, Adobe had shut down Flash at the beginning of 2020. Neil, you hate to see a once-beloved product meet yeah. this type of fate. It seemed like it had a very loyal fan base, too, because uh, a lot of the users that were on Mint still went to Reddit and started complaining like crazy. People were like, why did I find this out on TikTok? I literally just found this out on Reddit. This is a great product that they're they're uh, flushing down the toilet. And everyone was like, well, does anyone have any uh, any alternatives? I They were concerned that they were like, this is a very integral part of my life. It's how I track my budgeting. It's how I plan expenses. It's how I determine my net worth. So it seems like it was a very valuable product for people. And uh, for for Intuit, it just wasn't a, it wasn't worth investing because I guess they just looked at the uh, the business uh, numbers and they were like, well, we're we're really not making any meaningful revenue from this. It's probably not worth investing in. But they did spend $170 million on it at one point. Right. The, the, the former co-founder of Mint, who actually sold it to Intuit, did an interview and said, when I was there, TurboTax was doing over 20 times the revenue of Mint. So when you see the numbers put side by side, it does show like maybe why uh, Mint was left to kind of like wither. But also, I was digging through the Reddit, uh, the Mint Reddit subreddit as well, and I saw some CEOs of similar apps. One of 
was called Monarch that was jumping in oh, and yeah. saying, hey guys, I know you're all looking for a place. Like here's, I'm a, I was a former uh, product manager at Mint. This is the app I built. So I did love to see some of the hustle of other similar apps out there. But yeah, it was interesting to see just the outcry and these these communities form over, this has been around since the mid 2000s almost. And so it's it's been one of those big, uh, robust communities. Yeah. And now it kind of got the, the rug pulled from underneath. It is a, it, it is play a big role in people's lives to learn how to track and mm-hmm. to do it on your phone and to have all of your accounts kind of filter into one place is very important. So people who are listening to this, maybe you're on Mint and you're like, oh crap, like I don't have <laughs> Mint anymore <laughs> or by the end of the year. A couple ones I was looking at are Simplify, mm-hmm. Pocket Guard, You Need a Budget, and Good Budget. So look into those. I, yeah, really not creative <laughs> names, but those are possible alternatives that do something similar. Not all of them are free. They have like a free version for a month and then you have to pay a little a uh, little fee but maybe that's the reason mint doesn't exist anymore because you didn't have to pay yeah okay let's get to our week ahead preview preview it is busy 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 as we mentioned on the show on friday we work is expected to declare bankruptcy this week it could be a major blow to landlords that have leased a large portion of their real estate to the company as if that sector needed more challenges. And we'll definitely use the opportunity to talk about that time. WeWork invested in a company that makes artificial waves. Oh, the WeWork era. I am keeping an eye on if any WeWorks close down nearby to me because hopefully they'll dump some of their office furniture out there. And we all know Ooh. WeWork office chairs are just the best in the game. So I'm going to be stooping a little bit. All right. So we'll see what happens with WeWork. That's expected to come through the pipe in the next few days. Also today, Donald Trump will take the stand in his civil trial that will determine the future of his real estate empire. Remember, a judge found that Trump, his sons and the Trump organization committed fraud by exaggerating the value of their assets. What's left to be determined is how much they'll owe and whether Trump can continue doing business in New York. So this is a high stakes testimony today with billions of dollars at stake. Very high stakes. Again, could be a furniture bonanza though if they liquidate oh some God. of the assets. So big furniture we got. Right, um, um, let's see if you can make a furniture uh, reference with this next item. Tomorrow is election day across the country. It is an off year election, but there are important races that analysts are looking at. One of them is Virginia's statewide election in particular. That is often considered a bellwether of how the country will vote in 2024. And speaking of 2024, yesterday was one year until Election Day, if you can believe it. The New York Times and Siena College came out with a poll that showed Biden is trailing Trump, his likely opponent, in five of six battleground states that could determine the election. So Biden's team probably woke up earlier than we did this morning because they have a lot of work to do. Yeah, they're stressed out. I got nothing on the furniture front here. Okay, that's fine. You stumped me. All right, well, we have a few more things to go through. I'll give you another option. Uh, What else we got? Another busy week for earnings. Uh, We got Disney, Warner Brothers, Discovery, and Uber. So far, it's been a very good earnings season. Profits across all companies are on pace to rise for the first time in a year. I think Disney is the one I'm most eager to see because I, I mean, I think they're going to beat expectations because they've raised prices at their parks, but also they have this cruise line business. And as we know, the boomers are loving going on cruises right now. So maybe their cruise and, and their parks and experiences division will drive a, a solid quarter. I wonder what the seasonal distribution of cruises are. Yeah. Like, would you, you do people go mostly in the winter or the summer or is it just kind of a wash? Yeah, I would assume it's summer, but you can go to places like Alaska. Right. And, it depends on where time. Disney has most of their ships, like right. if they're in the Bahamas or if they're probably the Norwegian cruise lines do better i guess in the summer because they're in the the northern climbs uh the highly anticipated playstation 5 slim will be available friday and come with a copy of call of duty modern warfare 3 
I never knew this yeah. was coming <laughs> me out. Neither. Yeah, I'd never heard Dave of Dave Lozo, who writes our who write, helps me write the Monday newsletter, was like, this is a big deal. But slim. I never heard of it. Uh, the Marvels starving, starring Brie Larson and Samuel Jackson opens Friday. That's a sequel to 2019's Captain Marvel. That topped $1 billion at the global box office. But as we talked about last week, the Mar- Marvel studio is not in a great place right now. Again, had no idea it was coming out, too, because the writer's strike, you haven't been able to do this promotional thing. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully it, it does well for them, though. All right. Today, College Hoops returns to action. It is remarkable how much I used to care about college basketball, and now it's kind of fallen off You're for me. You're aging out. Maryland basketball in, in a little bit of a dry spell. Terps are going to the Final Four this year. And then finally, Veterans Day is Saturday, but it is observed as a federal holiday on Friday. And we still will have a show on We Friday. still have a show. It'll be a special episode. That is our show for this Monday. Hope you enjoyed your extra hour of sleep. But dang, it gets dark really early now. Just going to have to get used to it. Remember, you can always hit us up at our email address, morningbrewdaily at morningbrew.com for thoughts, questions, concerns on the show. Let's roll the credits. Emily Milliron is our editor and producer. Samantha Velas is our associate producer. Uchenua Ogu is our technical director, and it's his birthday. Happy birthday, Uchenua! Billy Menino is on audio. Hair and makeup is lost without mint. Devin Emery is our chief content officer, and our show is a production of Morning Brew. Great show today, Neil. Let's run it back tomorrow.